to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today is Easter Sunday. And on today, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. We celebrate His resurrection. The resurrection is the foundation of the Christian faith. Sometimes people think that the cross is the foundation of the Christian faith. And the cross certainly is very, very important. In fact, without the cross, it would be impossible for us to have a relationship with God. But without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. I don't just say that. God's word says that. I think it's very, very sad that there have been people, and not just people who say, I don't believe there's a God, you know, this Jesus was just some historical character, but people even within the, quote, church, who have said things down through the years and even recently, that, you know what? Jesus probably didn't really raise from the dead physically because that's impossible. But you know, it doesn't really matter because it's just a metaphor. It's just a picture. It's just something to say we can have hope. Can I tell you, we have no hope if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. In fact, Paul says in Corinthians that if Jesus truly did not literally physically Arise from the dead. Our faith is worthless. It is useless. We're guilty of spreading lies. And we're living a false life with no hope. Now the question is, is do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Perhaps you are here today and you say, well, that's kind of what I've always thought. Is that, yeah, it's not really possible for somebody to raise from the dead and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It gives hope to people. You know, maybe you kind of fall into that camp and I hope that your thinking is challenged a little bit today. Today I want to talk about believing that Jesus is alive. Do you believe that Jesus truly, literally, physically rose from the dead? I know a great majority of you do because I know you. I know your faith. Why do you believe that? How did you come to be convinced that that is true? What convinced you? And even more important, I hope we wrestle with this idea before we get to the end, is what difference does that make in your life? Perhaps you were convinced because you're just one of those people that whether you were raised this way or it's just the way you're just made, you know, the Bible. I believe the Bible is God's word. The Bible says it's true. And if the Bible says it, I believe it. And that settles it. Great attitude. Maybe it's because you have had a personal experience with God that has emphasized and reaffirmed and established in your heart that this is true, not only just because God's word says it, but because I've experienced something in a relationship with God. Perhaps you're one of those people that you wrestled with this whole issue and so you did some studying and you dealt with this uh, this technical term as apologetics. That doesn't mean you apologize to somebody, which is a good thing to do if you mess something up. But the word apologetics means proof of something. And there's a lot of great things that are out there. And if you're wrestling with this idea, did Jesus really rise from the grave? I encourage you to look into that. And if you don't know where to look, 
talk to me. I'll point you the right direction. Okay? Apologetics, the defense of the faith, the defense of what we believe. Maybe it's a combination of all of that. I believe that what God has laid on my heart for today can be an encouragement to all of us who already believe. We already know. We already have that assurance. There's no doubt in our minds Jesus rose from the grave and has made a difference in my life. This message, I believe, will encourage us. But I believe even more so that if you are here today or you're watching online and you're still wrestling with that whole idea, did Jesus really rise from the grave? And if he did, what difference does it make? What difference should it make? I hope that today will be another step in that process by which I believe God is reaching out to you to draw you to himself, to give you that confidence in the resurrection of Jesus so that you can have a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ and because of what Jesus did by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. So as I said, today I want to talk about believing Jesus is alive. And we're going to be looking at a story from the Gospel of John. The four Gospels. Gospel literally means good news. But these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his teachings, his miracles, what he came to do, what he accomplished. All four of them talk about the resurrection, but we're going to be looking specifically at John, and we're going to be looking at this story, and in this story are three individuals. Two men, one woman. They were all followers of Jesus. And on that morning, when it was discovered that the tomb was empty, they all three saw the same thing. But each of the three had slightly different responses at first. They all came to the same conclusion, but they started out from different places. They took different journeys to get to the place where they ended up. We're going to be looking at a young man who is called in the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved all his disciples, men and women. Jesus loves the world, but in particular, he was very close to each and every one of them, but there was something special about this young man. He was probably one of the youngest disciples that he is referred to as the disciple Jesus loved, like he was extra special. Now, here's the thing. Most Bible scholars, and I happen to believe that this is talking about John himself. He's not trying to bring glory to himself by mentioning his own name, but I can't help but maybe he's thinking, he's maybe kind of rubbing it like, I was Jesus's favorite. I don't know. I'm not trying to put something in his mind that wasn't there, but he's called the gospel, the, 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 the disciple whom Jesus loved. And again, most Bible scholars believe it's talking about John, so I'm just going to refer to him as John. And then we have Peter. Most people know about Peter. We'll talk more about him in just a moment. But then we have also Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. These three people. But I want you to understand where we're picking up this story. We're going to pick up this story after Jesus has died been buried. He's in the tomb. We're going to read a little bit, of, a couple of verses that talk about him being placed in that tomb, and then we're going to jump into the story of the resurrection. But in between is Saturday. Saturday was the most miserable day in these people's lives. And when they're in Saturday, they have no reason to believe it's ever going to change. They have just seen the most influential person in their life, someone in whom they had put all their hope, 
all of their trust, someone whom they loved dearly, someone who believed in them, someone who rescued them, someone who called them, someone who set them free, someone whom they believed they would follow for the rest of their lives because Jesus had been sent from God and he was going to be used by God to do great things and totally unexpectedly he's arrested unjustly tried horribly tortured and that's not too strong of a word and then crucified and he's dead not just these three but all the followers of Jesus are in a place of despair the disciples in particular are are full of fear they're afraid that they came for him they might come for his followers they could be next They have no hope. They have nothing left to really live for. They can go back to their old lives, but what's that going to be like after all the things that they've experienced traveling with you? I just want you to think, not for long, please not for long, but think of the most despairing day of your life. A time when you felt you had no more hope. You had nothing left to live for. That's what these people are dealing with. That's what they're dealing with. Let's jump into the story. I've asked you to turn to John 20, but I said we're going to back up a couple of verses and we're going to pick it up in verse 40. Two disciples that were kind of secret disciples, you can't stay that way long, but they had been secret disciples. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had gotten permission from Pilate to take Jesus' body. So we pick it up in verse 40, and it says, of chapter 19, so they took the body of Jesus... And they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Earlier in the story, other accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, We find that they brought these linen cloths. They brought 75 pounds of spices, things that were just used to uh, not technically embalm a body, but wrap a body with to bury the body, to treat it with respect and honor. And there's some symbolism that is there. The other stories tell us that Mary Magdalene and some of the other women are close by watching because the women want to make sure the men do it right, right? No, they're watching. They want to make sure the body of their Lord is being treated well and treated right. We pick up now in verse 1 of chapter 20. Jesus has been in the grave. Saturday's come and gone. Now it's before dawn on Sunday morning. And it says in verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Matthew tells us that an angel had rolled the stone away. It wasn't so Jesus could get out. Jesus didn't need no help getting out. It was so people could get in to see what happens. They saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So Mary ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, we believe that's John, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So we have these three people. We have Mary, we have the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, and we have Peter. Let's talk first of all about John. Who is John? John is the brother of James, probably the younger brother of James. And John and James were friends with Peter and Andrew. All four of them had been fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Earlier on in the story, even before Jesus makes his public appearance, John must have had some kind of spiritual thirst, some kind of spiritual hunger. He and Peter's brothers Andrew, because we find, as we read earlier in the Gospel of John, that, that John and Andrew had been followers of John the Baptist. The one God had sent to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare the way for the Messiah, to prepare the way for God's kingdom breaking forth into this world. And John preached a baptism of repentance to get ready for what God was getting ready to do. And John and Andrew, Peter's brother, were followers of John the Baptist. But when Jesus showed up and John pointed to Jesus and said, he's the one. At the urging of John the Baptist, he transferred his allegiance and began to follow Jesus one of the first followers of Jesus. He was one of the three that were closest to Jesus. Peter, James, and John are mentioned over and over for whatever. Jesus made them kind of his inner circle, the ones that were closest to him, the ones he, he, he took on special trips and did special things with. He loved all the disciples, worked in and through all of them, but there was something special about these three. So he's one of those three. We often think of the story of Peter, and we'll get to him in just a moment, and how he entered the courtyard when Jesus is being tried and he denies Jesus three times. But a little known fact that's often overlooked is the only reason he got into the courtyard is because John was there too. And John was the one that got him in. We can read earlier in this, this same chapter, John chapter 19. It says that, you know, after all the disciples abandoned Jesus, you know, Jesus is in the garden. He prays. This is before he's arrested. They come to arrest him. There's a little bit of a skirmish and Jesus says, stop. This is God's plan. All the disciples flee. But apparently, John and Peter come back and begin to follow the soldiers. Maybe at a distance, we don't know for sure. But Jesus is entered, uh, was brought into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter and John are on the outside, but it says that the people in the high priest's house knew who John was. And we don't know why or how, but he was able to get in. And he went in and he got permission for Peter to come in too. And so Peter came in and then we got the whole story of Peter denying Jesus. But John is right there with Jesus. John was so faithful. I would have loved if he'd have put some more stuff in here about what happened. I mean, he shares all about the trial and everything, but what happened to him? We don't know, but he's there when Jesus is being tried. Not only that, but we find that once Jesus is actually crucified, John is the only disciple that's specifically mentioned as being at the foot of the cross. In fact, he's there with Mary, Jesus' mother. 
And because of his faithfulness to Jesus and his dedication, Jesus basically said, John, would you take care of my mother from this point on? In church tradition, church history tells us he did exactly that. He took care of Mary for the rest of her life. And now we see John coming to the tomb. Mary's the one that shows up first. She's the one that went there early in the morning. She's the only one that, you know, her and the other gospel writers say there was a couple of other women with her, but they went there early. None of the men show up. None of them were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. And the tomb's open. So she runs and she tells them. And Peter and John run to the tomb. And it says that John got there first. Why did he get there first? We don't know. Maybe it's because he was younger than Peter. Maybe he was in better shape. Maybe it's because he's just full of excitement, full of hope. He doesn't know what's happened, but something has happened. We don't know what his motivation is, but he gets there first. But when he gets there, he stays outside. Why? Again, we don't know the motivation. Maybe it's because he has respect for Peter. Peter's older. He's been the unofficial leader of all the disciples. And he figures, well, when Peter gets here, we'll check it out. Okay, I'm going to look in, but I'm going to wait for him. He's kind of our leader, so I'm just going to wait. We don't know, but that may have been why. Maybe he, he just wanted to prove he could run faster than Peter and he lost his, he had to catch his breath. I, I don't know. But we see that when Peter shows up, he goes straight in and then John goes in right after him. And they see the linen cloths that Jesus' body was wrapped in. Many have proposed to say that they probably were just laying there in the form of the body that when Jesus was resurrected, his body just passed right through them. That's possible. We don't know for sure because it doesn't give the description. Could be they're just in a heap. We don't know. But it says the thing that was wrapped around his head was off by itself, folded up nice and neatly. By the way, this is one of the proofs that his body was not stolen, as was uh, was, uh, propound, was proposed both back then and through history, because grave robbers would not have taken the time to unwrap the body, especially when the 75 pounds of spices were worth more than the body was. And they went and folded it nice and neatly and left it there. But in any case, they saw this. And what was John's response? This passage says John believed. He believed. Look back at verses 8 and 9. It says the other disciple, we believe that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Well, what does that mean? It just means they still didn't understand all the details. They still didn't understand how it all worked out and everything. You know, Jesus had told them over and over again throughout his ministry. You know, eventually we're going to head to Jerusalem for a final time. They'd been there several times. And when we get there, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be accused. I'm going to be, I'm going to be condemned and I'm going to be crucified. And he even said, after that, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he said it more than once, at least three times in the year leading up to all these events. But the disciples didn't get it. They couldn't fathom that something like that would happen to Jesus, this one that God sent. They already had suspicions that he wasn't just a great man of God. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the Messiah. He's the one God's going to set up his kingdom and get rid of the Romans and, and make everything right again. 
So when Jesus talked about being arrested and killed, much less rising again, they, they didn't get it. And even this morning, even on Sunday morning, John didn't quite understand all the details, but he had seen enough. It says he believed. He believed. He hadn't even seen Jesus alive yet, but he believed. He didn't even understand all the details in the scriptures, but he believed. The gospel writers tell us that after Jesus resurrected, he spent 40 days before his final ascension to heaven and he would teach his disciples and he would show them how all the scriptures they'd learned as children pointed to him. They got a great education. But at this point, they didn't know all that. But it says that even though John didn't understand everything, he didn't know all the details yet, he hadn't seen Jesus yet, but he believed. You know, maybe some of us are like John. All it took was just a simple presentation of the gospel, of the truth of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and what that means, and we chose to believe. I know that's the way it was for me. I've shared my testimony many times, so I won't go into a lot of detail, but I was 10 years old, and my mom shared the gospel with me, and it was just so clear to me, and I just had this... Oh, I mean, I'd gone to church ever since I was a baby, pretty much. I knew a whole lot about the Bible and God. What do you mean a whole lot, but enough... But I didn't know God. But just the simple presentation of the truth was enough to convince me. And so I surrendered my life to Christ. I came to God recognizing that I was a sinner. Even at 10 years old, I may have, I don't know what all I was guilty of. I always tried to be good. I probably stole a cookie or something. I don't know. But you know what? Even though I wasn't weighed down with these great burdensome adult sins, I did have that conviction in my heart. I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And it was clear to me that Jesus came to die on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I needed to put my trust in him. And I did that as a 10-year-old boy, and I've never looked back. It was just a very simple thing. How many of you would just say, that's kind of how it was for me. Once I, once I learned the truth, it was no problem for me to accept it, and I just surrendered my life to Christ. How many of you? Pretty much a minority. Which doesn't surprise me. Because most of us have to wrestle with these truths. Most of us have to wrestle with these thoughts, with these ideas. It, it doesn't make sense. Somebody raised from the dead, God becoming a man, we have to wrestle with that. And we see that as we go a little bit further here. But John believed right away. And But there was one of the disciples that was just the opposite of John. Now, he's not one of the three we're looking at right now, but I just want to mention that. If you read this chapter in the Gospel of John and go all the way to the end of the chapter you find this other disciple, his name was Thomas. Thomas has accrued a nickname through the years. What is he called? Doubting Thomas. Yeah. You read this story on, you know, later on, Jesus shows up to um, 10 of the disciples. They're all gathered in a room, and uh, first time they actually see him alive. Thomas is not there. We don't know why. Maybe he went out for sushi. I don't know. Bring it back for everybody. I, I don't know. They like fish. But uh, Thomas is not there. And so the disciples, Jesus is alive. And Thomas comes back, and Jesus is already gone. They say to Thomas, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He says, right. I think Thomas was from Missouri. Some of you get that. Missouri is called the show me state. You got to prove it to me. All right. 
And that's exactly what he said. I'm not going to believe it unless I see the wounds in his hands and side. In fact, I'm not going to believe it unless I can actually put my fingers in my hands inside those wounds. A week later, Jesus shows up and they're all there. Thomas takes one look at him and Jesus says, here I am, Thomas, go ahead. And Thomas drops to his knees, probably with his face to the ground, saying, my Lord and my God. You know, Jesus told him in, again, the end of this chapter, John 20, 29, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. So John saw Hadn't seen Jesus yet. Didn't understand all the details, but he believed. He believed. Let's go on to Peter. Who's Peter? I already mentioned he and his brother Andrew were fishermen along with John and James, and they had worked together on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus had called him to follow him. He spoke very clearly to Peter along with others, says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter left everything behind and began to follow him I find it very interesting at the end of the story of Jesus' interactions with Peter at the end of John, after all the events of Peter's denial that Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and Peter is reconciled to Jesus, Jesus tells him the same thing, follow me, follow me. So Peter followed Jesus. He was a very bold man. He was very zealous, very enthusiastic. He said a lot of good things and he said a lot of wrong things. He did a lot of good things and he did a lot of wrong things. He was one of these people that if he got an idea, he would just pursue it and then later on figure out whether it was a good idea or not. But sometimes he had good ideas. You know, he's known as the one who had the faith to step out of the boat in the storm, as Pastor Jan preached about last Friday night. He's the one that when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they said, all people think you're this person, that person. But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He made that declarative statement and and Jesus commended. He says, you know, you didn't come with that by yourself. God gave it to you. I can't help but think Jesus is thinking in the back of his mind. Some of the stuff you say, God did not give that to you. But this time he did. This time he did. Okay. But Peter was an all or nothing sort of guy. The night Jesus is betrayed and Jesus is talking to his disciples, just listen, you know, before this night is over, you're all basically going to abandon me. And Peter says, Jesus, even if all these other guys leave you, and Peter's probably thinking, and they probably will, I'm not going to. I would rather die with you than abandon you. So they're in the garden. Jesus prays and Jesus says, it's time. They all get up. Here comes the soldiers. Here comes Judas. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. And Peter is still got that determination. He's got a sword. So I got to do something. And he swings that sword. He was no swordsman. He was trying to cut off a guy's head. He cut off his ear. Totally different result. But Jesus says, wait a minute, Peter, this is not God's way. God has a different plan. And Jesus healed the man's ear. And at that point, Peter lost his resolve. They all fled. As I mentioned earlier, Peter and John, at some point, somewhere along the way, come back. And they're 
headed toward the high priest's house and they get inside John first because he's known there and then he gets Peter in and then we probably all know maybe you don't if you don't that's fine but Peter denies Jesus three times in a row at the gate is being left in this little servant girl who kind of keeps an eye on the gate make sure nobody gets in that's not supposed to there's soldiers around but she's in charge and, and she says aren't you one of his followers he says nope I'm not he goes in he's sitting around the fire for a little while and somebody else says aren't you one of his followers you sound like a Galilean got a different accent he says no I'm not third time he's asked and he begins to call down curses on his may God strike me you know that kind of thing I am not one of his followers and it said that the rooster crowed and wherever he was sitting in the courtyard Jesus could be seen inside the house through a window a doorway or whatever and it says that Jesus looked at him Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter did the third time the rooster crowed and Jesus looked at him. And it says that Peter was so overwhelmed with guilt and sorrow that he fled away and just wept bitterly. Can you imagine how he's feeling on the Saturday? Not only has Jesus died, the man he swore he'd give his life for, but he has betrayed him and let him down. That's the Peter. So when Mary comes and says, the tomb's open, I don't know what's happened. I don't know what they've done with Jesus' body. He and John run out. John beats him again. It could be because Peter's older, but it could also be that Peter's like, this is just another thing. He's overwhelmed with guilt. He's overwhelmed with shame. Not only did he deny Jesus and Jesus is dead, but now something's happened to his body. Even if there's any glimmer of hope in his mind, the sun, you know, they're not thinking Jesus is alive. Even when he gets to the tomb and he goes in. I mean, again, the boldness of Peter. He doesn't hesitate. He just walks right in. And he sees the cloths. The face wrapping all by itself. We don't know what's going through his head. He saw the same things that John and Mary saw. And it says that John believed. But it doesn't say Peter believed. In John's account, it just says that he went home. Luke says a little bit about it. In Luke chapter 24, verse 12, he's talking about the same event. He says that Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling, wondering, puzzling. What, what's going on? Something's not right. So what was Peter's response? Peter was skeptical, but then he did believe. He ended up believing. But at this point, he's skeptical. And that may be like some of us here today, or some of you that are watching online, you've heard the facts, you've, you, you know the, 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 the principles, the ideas, but it's like, I just really don't know if I believe that or not. I really don't. Maybe you might even be wrestling with, I'm not sure I want to believe it, because I can understand a little bit how Peter feels. I've got some sin in my life. I'm dealing with some shame. I don't know that I'd want to come face to face with Jesus. Maybe he's not sure there's enough evidence that he really rose from the dead. But eventually Peter was convinced. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to Peter specifically, personally that afternoon. I told you about how that night he appeared to the ten disciples in the upper room. One of the accounts says that Peter had appeared, I mean, that Jesus had appeared to Peter already that afternoon. 
Can I tell you that it took a lot more evidence to convince Peter? But as I mentioned earlier, there is a lot of evidence that proves the resurrection. It's often said that the resurrection cannot be fully proved. But can I tell you that in 2,000 years there have been so many people that have tried to disprove it and no one has ever been able to conclusively disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he did rise from the dead. Again, there's some great resources, and I'd be glad to clue you in. I'd be glad to talk with you about it. One of the best things you could do, and you would enjoy doing it, is to watch the movie The Case for Christ. How many of you have seen that movie, The Case for Christ? It's the true story of a journal, a newspaper journalist, who set out to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead. And in the course of that, he was so overwhelmed with the facts that he became a Christian. Go home and watch that movie. But can I tell you, I, can, I don't have time to dig into all the proofs. Can I tell you what the main proof for me is that Jesus really rose from the dead? Is the changed lives of his followers. You might say, oh, any kind of ideology and philosophy can change people's lives. Yes, but we're talking about men and women. Okay? The original 12 minus you to the 11, plus the women, plus others who were disciples and followers of Jesus who said, we saw Jesus alive. Say, well, people can say anything, but they were willing to die for it. Now, true, earlier they said, we won't, you know, we won't abandon you, Jesus, we'll die for you, and then they abandoned him. But once they saw him alive, they never abandoned, they never recanted, they never went back and said, oh, by the way, I, I told a lie. Because you see, most all of them were put to death for that very faith. I don't care what you say you believe. If you don't really believe it, if you know you're telling a lie and somebody's going to put you to death unless you tell the truth, you're probably going to tell the truth. It's like, I know I said that. I know I said it for a year. I said it for 10 years. But you know what? You're going to put me to death because you I, it wasn't the truth. Not a single one of them denied it. To me, that's the greatest proof that Jesus really did rise from the grave. But you know, here's a, here's a really neat thing, and some of you need to hear this today. Even though Peter abandoned Jesus, denied him three times, Jesus did not write him off. And some of you need to hear that because you may be sitting here today, you may be watching online, you may be saying, you know what, but I, I made a confession one time and I tried to follow Jesus and I've just blown it so bad he would not want me back. Or maybe you never ever made a commitment to him and say, you know what? My life is such a mess. There's no way Jesus would ever want anything to do with me. And that is just not true. In fact, Jesus made a special point to let Peter know that he still loved him and he had not rejected him, even though he had rejected Abandoned and denied Jesus. I already mentioned that Jesus appeared to him specifically that afternoon, just one-on-one. -on -one. Not only that, but in, I think it's Mark's, let me see, yeah, Mark's account of this, when the angels show up, um, at the, when the women show up at the tomb and the angels are saying, go tell the disciples, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. He wanted Peter to know specifically that he was still part. He was still loved. He was still included. And if you read the story of John all the way to the end, you see that Jesus has a special encounter with Peter in John 21 when he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? And Jesus asked him three times. And I know Jesus did that on purpose. 
He asked him three times, I think, because Peter denied him three times. And all three times, Peter's kind of shamefaced. Says, Lord, you know I love you. Yeah, I, I love you. He's probably, feel, again, feeling that way. And Jesus basically tells him, this is my own paraphrase, good, I haven't rejected you. I'm still going to use you. Follow me. Feed my sheep. Take care of my followers. And Peter becomes the primary leader of the church in his early infancy. Jesus did not reject Peter, even though Peter had abandoned Jesus. And Jesus will not reject you if you will come to him today. I just want to tell you, it's interesting, if Peter would have just stuck around a little bit longer, he'd have seen Jesus. But he didn't. But he saw him later. And I just want to tell you today that if you're one of those, you're like Peter, it's like, you're skeptical, I'm not sure, don't ever give up searching. I hope that today, God will convince your heart, say, you know, I believe this to be true. But if by some chance that doesn't happen, and you're, you, you may not even want to be here, you're here because somebody drug you here, they forced you to come, it's family day, we all go to church at Easter, you're not getting Easter lunch if you don't go to church, I don't care what the reason was, they got you here, or you're watching online, and you're just skeptical, I want to challenge you to keep an open mind. And this is one of the most important things you will ever make a decision about. Don't treat it lightly. You research it. Do something about it. You know, if we're smart, we'll research something before we make an important decision. Don't make a decision against Jesus, to reject Jesus, to to discount Jesus without truly checking into it. And Jesus even gives a stamp of approval. He says, count the cost. Count the cost. See if it's true. See if it's worth following me. Count the cost. The third person is Mary. Mary. Let's read a little bit more. Mary. Starting in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped down to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And let me stop and say, How could she not know it was Jesus? Remember, this is before dawn. It's probably still dusky. She is overwhelmed with grief. She is probably crying. I would say her mascara is getting in her eyes, but I doubt that happens. And she is so focused that she just, I, I believe she just kind of sees somebody out of the corner of her eye, doesn't realize who it is, doesn't even care who it is. Where is Jesus? She did not know that it was Jesus, verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. So I'll take care of his body. I'll make sure it's treated with respect. Jesus said to her, Mary. She had heard Jesus call her name any number of times and now she realizes who he is. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. 
and that he had said these things to her. Jesus says, stop clinging to me. I don't know if she'd fallen at his feet. She's holding his ankles or whatever. He says, basically, Mary, Mary, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, you can let go. I got something I want you to do. Mary had the privilege of being the first person to witness the resurrection of Jesus. So we have Mary. But how did she respond? She saw the open tomb first. And when she did finally get to look inside and saw the linen cloths and everything, how did she respond? Mary was confused. But then she eventually believed because she saw Jesus for herself. Mary was heartbroken. Even after seeing the open tomb, even after seeing the linen wrappings, she was still so overwhelmed. Who is this Mary? Luke tells us in Luke chapter 8 that she was one of several women disciples who would from time to time, over a period of time, travel along with Jesus. Some of these women disciples were very wealthy and they helped support Jesus and the disciples and the expense of being on the road, food and all that kind of stuff. So she may have been wealthy. The Bible also makes it very clear that one of the reasons she was so devoted to Jesus and so loved Jesus was because Jesus had set her free from seven demons. We don't know how the demons had taken possession and authority in her life, but she had been controlled by these seven demons and Jesus cast them out, never to return. Mary loved Jesus so much that she was at the foot of the cross. Mary loved Jesus so much that she probably stayed at the cross until Jesus was taken off because the gospel writers tell us that when Joseph got permission, she was there when they took him to the tomb. She was there watching as they prepared the tomb and they were rushed for time. In fact, the other writers tell us that that evening, I'm sorry, before that evening, before the Sabbath would begin, she went out with some other ladies and said, let's get some more spices, let's get some more stuff so we can make sure it's done right. Their idea was to come back and finish the job. And she shows up first thing Sunday morning. She couldn't come on Saturday. It was the Sabbath. It was not allowed by law. But as soon as she possibly could, she went to check on Jesus. She went to finish the job, but she finds the tomb open. She saw what John saw. She saw what Peter saw. But she's confused. She's heartbroken. She just wants to see Jesus one more time and make sure he's properly respected and laid to rest. Three times. She says, I don't know where they've laid him. To the disciples, to the angels, to this one she thinks is the gardener. Maybe you're here today like Mary. You want to believe, but... You don't know whether you can or not. There's too much pain in your life. There's too much confusion. You're heartbroken by things that have happened to you. You're not sure of the facts. You want to believe that God's real, that Jesus loves you, but you just don't know. Again, I hope that this morning God reaches through and just totally reveals and confirms to you that this is true and you can count on it and you can surrender your life to Jesus. But if not, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you, I want to encourage you to pray. Even if you don't think you believe in God, to pray and say, God, would you reveal yourself to me? Jesus, would you reveal you? Now, don't make demands of God. God, if you're really real, then you have to do this and you have to do that. God is no one's servant. But if you are open to him working in your life and you will come honestly and say, God, please, 
somehow, some way, reveal yourself to me. I believe he wants to do that right here, right now, this morning, so you can come to a place of faith. But if you don't, don't give up. You keep coming back to him. After Peter and John left, Mary just hung around. And because she hung around, she was the first one to see Jesus alive. As we wrap this up, every one of us here this morning or watching online are probably like one of these three people in this story. They all had different responses, but eventually they all eventually believed and Jesus loved and accepted each and every one. John, the one, there's not a negative word. No, I'm sorry, that's not exactly true. I was going to say there's not a negative word shared about John, but there was one time that John and his brother wanted to call lightning down on some people that had dissed Jesus and destroy them. So, okay, there's, there is some stuff in there that's not, you know, John wasn't perfect, but he was a faithful man. And Peter, who denied Jesus, and Mary, who's loving Jesus, but just heartbroken and confused. But like John, maybe you've seen enough to know that you believe in and that includes many of us here today. And we rejoice. That's why we gathered at church on Easter Sunday morning to rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus is alive, we have new life. Because Jesus is alive, we have new hope. Because of Jesus is alive, we have new strength. Because Jesus is alive, we have new help. That was a four-point sermon I preached one time, so you got an extra sermon for free. Because Jesus is alive, we are alive forevermore with a relationship with God, not because we deserve it or we can earn it, but because Jesus paid the price for it. But maybe you're here and you're like Peter, you're skeptical, you're considering, you're not sure. I want to encourage you to step beyond that and accept by faith what God's word says to be is true, what many other people would testify to be true. And maybe God has convinced you this morning. I'm going to call you to respond to that with a step of faith. Like Mary, maybe you've been hurt you're confused. You're heartbroken. Again, Jesus is reaching out to you saying, I'm alive and I can bring life to you. And I can help you with whatever you're facing. I'll be there for you. But the most important thing is that maybe today is the day you're ready to cross over that line. You're ready to put aside your doubts. You're ready to put aside your questions. I don't mean totally put them aside. Keep searching. Keep learning. Keep growing. But you're willing, willing to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I don't understand it all. But God's speaking to my heart. And I want to respond. I need Jesus as my Savior, not just some historical figure that I go to church sometimes and hear about. One last scripture. At the very end of this chapter we've been reading, John chapter 20, John tells us why he wrote this story down. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What does it mean to believe? It doesn't mean just to believe that Jesus was a real person and existed in history. It means that you believe that he is who he said he was and who scripture says he is, that he is God himself come in the flesh, specifically to this earth 
not just as a good teacher, good example, all those things are true, not just to help people with their problems, although he does that, but he came specifically to live the perfect life that we could not live so that when he died on the cross, a death he did not deserve, it would pay the price for our sins. And we believe that. It means I'm putting my trust in it. I'm putting my faith in it. A very simple illustration that's used many times is I could bring a chair up here and say, I believe this chair is going to support my weight, but I don't know for sure. And it doesn't support my weight till I sit in it. You can acknowledge all kinds of facts, but until you choose to put your trust in it, you're not truly Believing, You can believe all kinds of stuff about Jesus. You can go to church all the time. You can pray. You can read your Bible. You can give. You can help people. You can be a good person. That's wonderful. But until you put your trust in Christ, you don't have a relationship with God. The Bible says we're all sinners separated from God. The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death and separation from Him. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's all stand together. We talked about the cross during communion. Pastor Dan did a great job describing what the cross was all about. It was to pay the price for our sins. The resurrection sealed the deal, I could say. I said that, you know, without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. And basically that's because Jesus said, everything I've come to do, everything, whatever, you'll know it's true because this is going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. If he did not rise again, then everything else he said was a lie too. But he did rise again. As we prepare to close this service, I just want to say, if you are here today, and you'd say, you know what? I need Jesus. I recognize today and I'm willing to admit, just like all the rest of us, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And today's the day God's dealing with my heart and I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to, I just want to repent of my sins. I want to give them to God, ask him to forgive me. I don't deserve it, but Jesus paid for it. And today I want to receive that forgiveness. And I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just come down here? You can come down even now. Anybody today, you say, that's me. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Most everybody in this room has done that because we recognize we need Jesus. Is there anybody today you'd say, I need Jesus? Come, yeah. Come on. Anybody else? Come. 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 Anybody else? Anybody else? Elder John Spence, would you come and talk with this young man? Anybody else? Today, I need Jesus. Anybody else? All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. Go right ahead, John. Minister to him. There may be people that are watching online and they're sitting there saying, I need Jesus today. So would you help me as I pray? Would you just pray with me what I pray so that people have opportunity to do that? Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I recognize and admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me 
of my sins. Not because I deserve it or can earn it, but because Jesus paid the price. Thank you for forgiveness. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Live your life through me. Help me, Lord, to live for you and grow closer to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just want to tell you that if you prayed that, you meant it with your heart, not just because I prayed it, but because you did. That now you have the joy of knowing Jesus and living for him. And you need to be involved in a good church with some good people and learn and grow in that relationship. Contact us and let us know that so we can help you do that. Before we close in prayer, let me just say, you know, we were talking about the resurrection and our need for a Savior. But how many of you are here today say, I need a touch from God today? Amen. We're going to pray together. The Bible said when Jesus died on the cross, it was to take care of our sin problem. But you know what? Every other problem we have is related to our sin problem. Let's just pray right now. Father God, you see the hands that are raised or were raised. You see the people that are sitting at home, Lord God, and they are struggling with something in their life, a physical need or an emotional need or a financial need or something with a relationship or maybe something at school or something at their job. Lord, as they look to you, I pray to God that you would work in that situation. I pray that you would give them wisdom, Lord God. If, if there's something they need to do, to help with, to handle whatever that problem is, show them what it is, show them what your word says about it. But God, many times they've already done that and it's just beyond their control and they're crying out to you and I pray that right now you would reach out and touch them wherever they are, Lord God, to bring about a healing, to bring about a deliverance, to bring about a provision, Lord, whatever it might be. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk in victory today. I pray to Lord God that as we leave this place in just a moment, that we would be able to leave, Lord God, not weighed down, not burdened, but full of joy, full of peace, full of your love because of what you did for us on the cross and by being raised from the dead. And I pray to God to be so powerful in our lives and that we'd be so willing to share that with others, that others would see that in us and they would hear it from our lips and that we would be used by you, Lord God, to help point other people to Jesus. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.